Okay, so in this week's uh, class, I want to discuss something from this week's Torah portion and connect it to Passover and understand the mystical process of Passover. What is the Seder really all about? So in the beginning of this week's Torah portion, there is a verse there that says concerning the fire that needs to be on the altar, that the fire on the altar can never be extinguished. So the verse says, Eish Tamid, a continuous fire, Tukad Alamizbeach will burn upon the altar, Lo it should not be extinguished. So there is a teaching that the Rebbe, tonight is his 120th birthday, the Rebbe, blessed memory. The, in his book, Hayom Yom, the calendar, the Rebbe has over there a teaching which Rabdov Ber of Mazrich, known as the Mazricha Magid, told his disciple, Rab Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who is the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, and he told them as follows, Eish Tomid Tukad Alamizbeach, within our inner altar, our heart, we must always have a fire burning, a fire of love, yearning, and commitment, and lo tichbeh, Instead of translating it as in, shall not be extinguished, he reversed it and he said, and this fire will extinguish the no, the negativity. And that is the teaching that our job is that we should have the heart so ablaze with a love for God, for the Torah, for our fellow Jew, for the land of Israel, that that fiery love will extinguish the negativities in our life. And the Alter Rebbe and Tanya explains at great length how this works. Within us, we have the egocentric animalistic soul, which yearns for only self-serving, self-centered pleasure. And that's the negativity. It carries a negativity to the theocentric, to the selflessness, to spirituality. And there is the fiery, godly soul, which is theocentric and has a most innate, natural child towards parent yearning and love for God, for the Torah, for the Jewish people, for the land of Israel. And this fiery right side of the heart is to overflow into the left side of the heart. And with it, it is to extinguish the negativity of our animalistic soul. Not to, God forbid, terminate the animalistic soul because then we would be dead but rather 
to extinguish the negativity. And in order to understand this, we need to understand that the animalistic soul is not an evil part of us. It is about passion. It is about curiosity. It is about excitement. And Judaism is perceived to the animalistic soul as this rabbi with a long white beard, very stern, very serious, never joking around. And therefore, the negativity of the animalistic soul is that I want, you know, the YOLO. You only live once. I, I want to have fun. I want to have pleasure. And that is why very often what we find is that the first time, for example, on campus, you know, which campus, which, which college student is interested right now in Judaism and in study? They have enough study over their head and they want excitement. It's that time of the life. And what happens is that very often a student will be invited to a Friday night dinner, not the services, just the dinner, the Shabbat dinner, the Purim party. And he or she walks away like, wow, that was fun. I didn't think anything Jewish could be fun. I thought it's all sober. I thought it's all focused on, on study and, and calmness. And, and all of a sudden they realize that there could be excitement. And the minute the animalistic soul picks up that there's an excitement to be had in Judaism, it no more has a negativity towards it. It's very interested in it. So that's the deeper meaning of the fire on the altar, its job is to burn so passionately that it extinguishes the negativity, the frown that the animalistic soul has towards its, towards Judaism. On that note, I wanna share an interesting answer that the Rebbe gave to a mother. When it comes to Passover, we're very, very careful with chametz. You're not, the verse says, you're not allowed to have any chametz in your home. And therefore, already for weeks, we're cleaning and moving and doing stuff. And, you know, for the children, it becomes, it becomes very difficult. And all of a sudden, your childhood memories of Passover, instead of being so much fun, and, and you know, wow, I remember the excitement of this. It becomes like, oh my God, it's Passover. We're gonna have to start already. My mother's gonna be screaming. My father's gonna be angry and, and all of that stuff. So the Rebbe told this woman, these two parts of a statement. Number one, dust is not chametz. Don't go crazy over things that are not chametz. Number two, your children, aren't the Passover sacrifice. Don't drive them crazy. Because most people who grow up with a, a, even a touch of animosity to Judaism is because their childhood memories were very painful. But if we can find ways to allow Passover and all the preparations to Passover to be decent, to be passionate, to be fun, all of a sudden, Judaism has beautiful memories and the animalistic soul is interested.
Now, with this being said, I want to go to the Passover Seder. The Passover Seder, and it's going to be a, a short class. The Passover Seder is focused on a question and an answer. That's the way the whole Passover Seder is structured. So much so that there are things we do at the Passover Seder which has no reason at all other than to quote what our sages tell us in order to pique the curiosity of the child so that the child should ask a question. So a lot of things that we're doing at the Seder table is to specifically make it unique so that the child would wonder and ask, why are we doing this? Hence, the entire Seder is not about the father or the mother lecturing the children, but rather it is about getting the child to ask the question and then to answer the child's question. Now, with this, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, with this, let us understand that right at the onset of the Seder, right after the immediate initial things we do, and one of them we do again to pique the question, why do we dip the uh, vegetable into salt water? Right from the onset, we ask the question, What makes this night different from all other nights? <coughs> and right after we have this question, we have the short form answer, the Avadim Hayinu, because we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then we go on to the history and the long form answer. That's really what the Seder is all about. And then, of course, after the Haggadah, we have the Matzah, the Moror, so forth and so on. I want to focus on the question and the answer and not what the question is and not what the answer is, but rather I want to share with you a Kabbalistic interpretation to who asks the question and who gives the answer. Right before the Manishtana, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad Lubavitch, he writes a simple instruction. Kan haben shoel ma. Literally what that means is here the son asks what. Now I want to share with you the mysticism of that one line instruction. In order to understand the mysticism of this one line instruction, I need to take you to a little bit of Kabbalah about God's name. Now, we know God's ineffable tetragrammaton, the four letter name, the Yud and the Hey and the Vov and the Hey, have the numerical value of 26. Yud is 10. Hey is five, Vov is six, Hey is five, is 26. However, in Kabbalah, there are another four numerical values to that name of God, the holiest name of God. And how does that work? The way it works is that each letter is spelled out. For example, the Yud, if you pronounce the name Yud, 
you have a Yud, a Vav, and a Dalet. That equals 20. Then if you spell out the letter Hey, there are different ways how to spell it. You can spell it Hey Aleph. You can spell it Hey Hey. When you spell out the letter Vav, you can spell it out as Vav Aleph Vav or just Vav Vav. And then the second hey, once again, you can either do hey Aleph or hey hey. Now, in Kabbalah, we call that the name with Alephs or the name with hey's. And there's another two ways to do it, but I'm just going to focus on the first two. So if you add up God's name, when you spell out the letters with the Alephs, you're going to end up with the numerical value of 45. If you're going to spell out the letters with the haze, in other words, instead of hey, Aleph, it's going to be hey, hey, you're going to add up to the numerical value of 52. Parenthetically speaking, the other two numbers are 63 and 72. But I want to focus tonight on what are the most famous names in the teachings, very well explained, is the 45 and the 52. Now, in order to appreciate, <clears throat> excuse me, some insight to what these two different levels and manifestations of God's name is, I'm going to share with you one more numerology. The number 45, if you take the word Adam, Adam, which means man, mankind, Adam is Aleph Dalit Mem equals 45. If you take the word behema, which means an animal, bet, hey, mem, hey, equals 52. So now we know that the two numerical values to God's name in the different levels is the manifestation of man and animal. Let's go now a little step further. When we talk about Adam, we talk about the human being being called Adam. There is a beautiful teaching that says, why is it called Adam? One famous one is the word Adam is from the word Adama, from the earth, because God created Adam from the Adama, from the earth. There is another beautiful teaching, a little bit more mystical, that the word Adam comes from the word Adame, similar to Dome. And what does it mean? Because man was created in God's image and likeness, hence he's called Adam because he's Adame. He is similar to, he is like the Adam Ha'elyon, the supernal one, God. So then we have the Behemah. The behemah represents the animalistic soul. The Adam, the man, the one that's likened and similar in the image of God, is the soul. So now let's redefine what we said here. Kan haben shoel ma. Here, the 52, which we now know means the animalistic soul, asks, Shoel asks, Ma. He asks of the 45, which represents the godly soul. So now I'm giving you an insight 
to the entire Passover Seder on an internal level that the animalistic soul, our physicality, our drive for passion, love, fun, YOLO, FOMO, whatever other ones you want to use. This is asking of the godly soul, the image of God within us, what is going on tonight? Now, in order to understand this process of what the animalistic side, the egocentric side, the self-centered, and I'm not being vicious or, ego, or, or evil, um, the animalistic soul is a beautiful part of us. It's why God sent the soul down here. If God just wanted the godly soul, that was in heaven before we were born. We were born so that the godly soul can come down into a body and deal with an animalistic soul. So the animalistic soul is very cherished by God. It offers something that the godly soul doesn't have. The godly soul is too structured to be able to have fiery passion to the sense of illogical yearning for God. Everything of the godly soul is logical. Now, understanding that, I want to share with you a different interpretation of these two names. And I, I don't mean a different interpretation. I should be more careful. I mean a different aspect of this interpretation of the 45 and the 52 and the godly soul and the animalistic soul. It says like this, King Solomon said that the spirit of mankind is always yearning upwards. The spirit of the animal is always yearning downwards. In other words, the, the human being, because of his frontal cortex, which is 40% of the brain, he's looking upwards. He's looking to a higher thinking, a higher living, a higher intelligence, a higher commitment, a higher purpose. The animal, on the other hand, because it doesn't have that frontal cortex power of higher thinking, and therefore, the animal spirit is always downwards. What does it mean, downwards? The animal's life basically focuses on eat, don't be eaten, and procreate. Very physical. Now, with understanding this, we can again go ahead and understand a different dimension of the ben and the ma. Okay? What does it mean? What does the Alter Rebbe mean when he focuses on that the Manishtana is all about the Ban, the 52, the animalistic soul, Sho'el Ma? He's asking the 45. So I want to share with you something that you and I, we, we've all spoken about this on this platform quite a couple of times. And that is the difference between the world of Atzilut and the world of Briya Yitzira Asiya. Atzilut has two definitions, two interpretations. The word Atzilut can come from the word Vayatzil Minabruach, he brought forth from. It's not a creation ex nihilo. It's that which existed before in the highest level is brought forth. Another interpretation is from the word Etzel, which means next to. Hence, when we talk about the spiritual world of Atzilut, we're talking about the realm of spirituality, divinity, unity. That's what we're talking about. In Kabbalah and Hasidis, this is what Eden is all about. 
However, from Eden comes out a river and waters the garden. And the garden then, the river splits into four major waterheads. What does that mean, Kabbalistically speaking? What that means is that from Atzilut, that's not the world that God desired because that from its own nature, because of the way God created it and brought it forth to be, it is divinity, it is oneness, it is in the image and likeness of God. But however, then from there comes forth the spreading out of the four river heads. And there we talk about the world of creation, formation, and action. Now, what does the word creation mean? What does it mean, creation? Nachmanites on the second word of the Torah, Bereshit, bara. Bara means to create. Nachmanides says that that is the only word in the Hebrew language that means creating ex nihilo, something from nothing. Now, what does it mean creating something from nothing? How can we call God nothing and us something? Something from nothing. If anything, we should say that God created nothing from something because he is something and we are nothing. And the answer is because nothing, when we call God nothing, when we say God created something out of nothing, what we mean by nothingness means that it defies any finite principles and properties that defines a something. We as finite human beings have certain properties which are all finite and descriptive of what a something is. Because God defies anything that we define as a something, we refer to God as nihilo, as nothingness. Now, that means that creation is a somethingness. That somethingness is all based on an egocentric definition of self. I exist. I am a something. I have a definition. I have a beginning and an end. So the world Atsilut represents the infinite nihilo, total transparency and divinity and unity and infinite, while the world of Bria represents an egocentric something with a beginning and an end that demands to have its own definition. Now let's take this one step further. In Kabbalah, the name of God, which equals 45, the Ma, this represents the divinity world of Atsilut. While the world of Bria, the world of somethingness, egocentric, represents the numerical number of God's name, 52. So now here we're understanding that the mystical interpretation of that one little instructions before the Manishtana, Kan Haben Shoel Ma. Here, the world of somethingness is asking the world of nothingness what's going on tonight. Now let's understand this. The difference between the world of divinity and the world of egocentrism is all boils down to the paradigm. The paradigm of 
the world of divinity is that it is transparent. It is nothing more than a conduit for God to shine through. The world of somethingness, egocentric says, yes, God created me. Yes, I need God, but I'm a somebody. I got needs. I got wants. I got dreams. I have purpose. I have goals. It all starts with the I. Now, when we talk about the difference between Atzilut and Bria, what we really need to understand here is that the world Bria, the world of the animalistic soul, the world of the egocentrism, that is what God desires because that's where novelty takes place. For the godly soul, I'm sorry, for the godly soul, I'm sorry, for the godly soul to go ahead and sit by the Seder and be totally focused on divinity, liberation, service to God. God took us out of Egypt, brought us to Mount Sinai. We accepted the Torah. That's not pleasurable to God. That is the norm. That is expected. The godly soul has no choice to behave differently. However, the animalistic soul does understand slavery. It does understand the ultimate ugliest depths of slavery, not where I am forced by another to do something, but that I am enslaved to my own feelings, to my own passions, to my own impulses. And hence, that slavery, that animalistic soul, when it can say, that I am connecting to God, that brings God a holiday called Pesach. That is the holiday of Passover. Hence, we're now understanding a lot more that why at the very onset of the Haggadah, the very onset of Passover Seder, it's not about the soul, the godly soul talking until it has successfully piqued the interest of the animalistic soul to start asking what is going on tonight. Only then when the animalistic soul, its interest is piqued, it's a little excited that there's something going on at the Seder table, only then is it open to hear? And only when it's open to hear should the godly soul be answering. Because the mitzvah is never to talk, but to be heard. And that's what the Passover Seder is all about. And that's why the Passover Seder is not a meditation it is not abstinence, but full engagement in the physical. That is why the depth of the Seder has to do with eating the physical amount of matzah, the physical amount of maror, the bitter herbs, the physical amount of four cups of wine, and there's a minimum size to what the cup can be, how many ounces, and that's why Seder must be celebrated with physically leaning, inclining while you're eating. 
It's all about because the child is asking a question and we need to answer the child. We need to answer our inner child. We need to answer this concept of the egocentric I, YOLO, FOMO, all of that needs to be connected, engaged with, needs to be drawn into the conversation. And the focus is not for the godly soul to show its, its great wisdom and great spirituality, but rather for it to be able to imbue within the animalistic soul on the animalistic soul's level that tonight is an opportunity of freedom. Just for tonight, we can break out of being enslaved to our impulses, to our egocentric, to our fears, to our, our, our insecurities. Just for tonight, if we follow the physical process of the Seder. And that's what's going on here. And that's why the Manishtana, these four questions were very carefully picked. There's so many more questions you can ask. For example, why do we drink four cups of wine? But we don't ask that question. We ask about the matzah. We ask about the morar. We ask about the dipping. And we ask about the inclining. Why? Because these four things break into a dichotomy. Matzah is the bread that we had with freedom. Moror is the bitterness of slavery. The dipping into salt water, tears, is the sign of slavery and suffering. The inclining is about freedom. So we keep on embracing the inner child. We keep on embracing the self-centered animalistic soul, invalidating that yes, there is the suffering, there is the salt water tears, there is the bitter herbs. We do go through that process of mourning the ego as we slowly let go of it. Our ego kept us alive, our ego brought us to where we are. So letting go of the ego does entail a mourning, a suffering. And nevertheless, we also embrace the inclining and the matzah. We also embrace this concept of freedom. And that's the conversation throughout the whole night. If you ever want to be able to get through to a child, and a child I don't mean by the age on the passport. I'm talking about the maturity of emotions, the emotional intelligence. I'm talking about the, the, the being able to be a, 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 an adult. So there's a child and there's an adult. We will never be able to get through to our child or anyone else's child if we're not able to validate what they're experiencing. Don't tell them you're wrong. Tell them that we're validating what you feel. We understand what you feel. We understand why you feel what you feel. But now it's okay to move from the brainstem and the limbic system to the frontal cortex. It's okay to embrace the human gift, 
which is beyond just survival, eat, don't be eaten and procreate. Hence the beginning of it all is written there in one line, kan haban, ban, 52, the numerical value of behema, the numerical value of God's name when it's spelled with hey's, hey, hey, instead of hey, aleph. Kan haban shoyel ma. Here, the ban, the egocentric, asks the ma, the 45, the numerical value of Adam, divinity, atzilut. That is where the Seder takes place. The Seder takes place when our inner child asks the question. And when our inner loving parent can focus completely on the inner child, be there for the inner child, talk to the inner child, validate its suffering through Egypt, our internal Egypt, validate its fears, and even validate its tantrums when it doesn't get what it wants. And then you'll be able to move from the Avadim Hayinu, we were slaves, but we don't have to do that today. We can taste freedom through little physical actions of caring, of selflessness, of adulthood, of emotional maturity, of self-love, of self-care. So the journey of the Haggadah, the journey of the Passover Seder is a beautiful journey if we're willing to embrace it, not just as a commemoration of the past, not just a celebration of potential, but a real, a real inner dialogue between our egocentric self and our selfless self. And I want to finish with the following words. I've shared this in the shul on high holidays. I'm going to share it now. There was a young wave traveling in the ocean, being blown by the mighty wind, winds, picking up speed. And it started feeling so powerful and so glorious. And as it's coming closer to the beach and it sees the rocks of which, upon which all the waves go crashing into and end, they don't exist no more, it started panicking. Came along a seasoned mature wave and asked the young wave, hey chap, what's up? Well, what are you so nervous about? And the little wave, the young wave points to the rocks and says, oh my God, oh my God, look, 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 don't you see, we're gonna die. And the older wave said to the younger wave, that will all depend on how you define yourself as a wave or as part of the ocean. The inner child cannot see beyond its present definition of self in the passion, in the FOMO, in the YOLO, in the I. It thinks that if it gives this up, it's going to die. The older wave, the inner loving parent tells the younger inner child, it all depends on how you define yourself. Are you just a something or are you a piece of the ultimate nothingness, the omnipotence of God?
that's what a Seder takes us to. Thank you.